This is an audio sermon recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ in Alma, Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth. We would love for you to worship with us at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1808 Highway 71 North in Alma, Arkansas. Good morning. Good morning. Dane, I got a response. <laughs> Now, every now and then we choose a topic, those of us who are speakers, that uh, is kind of personal. And today's topic is, is one of those with me. And we'll get into that later on in the latter part of the lesson. Um, I've basically broken the lesson down into four parts. And when I practice, I, as we all do, I'm sure, um, I have, just for myself over the years, tried to keep it within certain time frame, and I had to leave a lot of my notes out. I've called this thing down um, significantly. There's just a lot of scriptures concerning this topic, there really is. And uh, I try not to beat a dead horse and repeat the same ones over and over, so uh, hopefully this will be beneficial to you. We've got a lot of young folks and teenagers that are about to reach that stage of life where decision-making process is significantly important. Uh, you can be trained up all the best methods possible. But once you reach that stage of adulthood, those decisions are yours to make. And as parents, we hope and pray and trust that you simply make the right ones. I want to look at a story this morning that's found in Genesis, the 19th chapter, to start us off. Those of you who uh, are aware of what's in Genesis 19, is the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. And in this story, I remember as a child hearing this story with such shock and awe about the total devastation and destruction of these two cities and those surrounding them, and the wrath of God, and the realization as an adult now uh, that there is no new thing under the sun. The terrible things that were transpiring there that caused God to destroy those cities uh, transpire today. Some of the same faults and situations we see on a daily basis. But I want to focus on the latter part of that chapter, after those cities have been destroyed. And we're going to talk about Lot for just a moment. Now, Lot had already lost his wife in this situation. His wife looked back, as we remember, and as she was instructed not to do by God. And because of that, there were consequences. Every decision we make in life typically has consequences, good or bad. She was turned into a pillar of salt. Lot lost his wife. He lost everything back in Sodom and Gomorrah except for his two daughters. And so with his two daughters, they escaped and traveled up into the mountains, took refuge in a cave. Now his two daughters became very distraught because they felt like there were no men available. And because of that, they couldn't have children. And they made a terrible, terrible decision. It's a grotesque story. They decided that they would get their father drunk with wine and have an incestuous relationship, thereby having children with their father. Now, if we think about this story, there's a lot going on here, and a lot of people that fought, all three. I don't think it shows in this story that he was forced to take the wine. 
I don't think they could have overpowered him and made him do so. So what happened? He willingly had so much wine or alcohol that his judgment became impaired. Now, the decision that they made was horrible in taking advantage of that situation and creating the situation. But with alcohol involved, alcohol impairs the judgment. Individuals who would make sound decisions, correct decisions, would never have allowed anything of this nature to take place under the influence of alcohol, it occurred. And all throughout the scriptures, the warning is very significant about the abuse of alcohol. We're just going to look at some of these very quickly. I'll read through them as fast as I can about the effects of alcohol abuse on our judgment and the effect that it has on our lives when we do so. Proverbs, Proverbs is one of those books where there's a balance constantly going on between this is wise and this is foolish. This is righteous and this is sinful. And foolishness is always listed in that area of sinful things. Proverbs 20 and 1. Wine produces mockers. Alcohol leads to brawls. Those led astray by drink cannot be wise. Proverbs 23 perhaps best describes the nature of alcohol and how it affects us. It's almost poetic in nature, and it's, it's sad. It really is. Listen to this description because it's one of the most uh, amazing descriptions in the Bible about a terrible state of mind that we can be in if we allow ourselves to become drunk. Who has anguish? Who has sorrow? Who is always fighting? Who is always complaining? Who has unnecessary bruises? Who has bloodshot eyes? It is the one who spends long hours in the taverns trying out new drinks. Don't gaze at the wine, seeing how red it is, how it sparkles in the cup, how smoothly it goes down. For in the end, it bites like a poisonous snake and it stings like a viper. You will see hallucinations. You will say crazy things. You'll stagger around like a sailor tossed at sea, clinging to a swaying mask, and you will say they hit me, but I didn't feel it. I didn't even know when they beat me. When will I wake up so that I can look for another drink? That is the life of somebody who is addicted to a substance. Nobody ever sets out to become an alcoholic. They just That's not in somebody's mindset, uh, but it occurs. And it even occurs to Christians. This is something that is not just occurring outside of the church, uh, but it occurs inside the church as well. Christians are just as susceptible to the abuse of substances as those who don't believe in God. Now, I think it was Francis Chan who uh, said that we are in danger at times as Christians of condensing down Christianity to a list of things we don't do. And I see that point. Throughout the Bible, sometimes we look at what we see as a list. Now, this is list we sh things we should do every day. This is a list of things we should avoid all the time. <coughs> And we can fall into that mindset of I've checked these off every day. And I've checked these off as things that I avoid every single day. But if you look at the broad picture, this is what a Christian's life looks like. Uh, 
This is what a Christian's life should never, ever look like. That person who falls into that category will not find the kingdom of heaven. So as we look at these things, and we're going to look at one that is referred to as a list in 1 Corinthians 6. And we see a broad picture, a very detailed painted picture of what the life of a Christian can never look like. Know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Paints a pretty good picture of what we shouldn't be, right? Now I think, by and large, even though this topic, believe it or not, is, is debated greatly throughout the church and throughout uh, Christian homes and families, I think we can all agree that the abuse thereof and drunkenness is a sin, period. It is going to lead to damnation. It's not a lifestyle that we would choose, and it's not something as Christians we need the world to see us partaking it in that level and in that way. So, at least in this regard, I think we probably all are in complete agreement. New converts. Most of us had the blessing uh, of being brought up in a Christian home, but not everybody has that blessing. And there are those who were brought up in perhaps a, a believing home, uh, but not one that attended regular services or espoused some of the things that Christians should do and shouldn't do and their rules that they have for their house. There are certain new converts who are so excited about the good news and what that means for them that they assume, even though they had led a hedonistic lifestyle before, that if they go to their friends and tell them about this great news, their friends are going to be just as excited as they are. And a lot of times that's just not what happens. Someone who's been pulled out of the world and who is living in sin in that way, uh, partying, getting drunk, doing all the things we think of in a worldly nature, and then they have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, have been washed in His blood, were made free in Christ because of being washed in the blood of Christ. And that's something that new Christians uh, can sometimes be so excited about when they share with their friends, the ones that they maybe grew up with, the ones that they would always hang out with and party with. You know, their friends aren't too happy. They're not too happy at all. And they want to pull them back into the old world. 1 Peter 4, 2 through 5. You won't spend the rest of your... You know, this, is, uh, this was Peter admonishing and expressing, you know, this is what it's going to feel. This is what it feels like to be a Christian. This is what it feels like. This is some of the things that you may go through. You won't spend the rest of your lives chasing your own desires, but you'll be anxious to do the will of God. You've had enough of the past of the evil things that godless people enjoy. Their immorality their lust, their feeding and drink, drunkenness, wild parties, and their terrible worship of idols. Of course your former friends are surprised when you no longer plunge into the flood of wild and destructive things that they do. So they slander you. But remember, 
They will have to face God, who will judge everyone, both the living and the dead. Romans 13 and 13. Because we belong to the day, we must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties, of drunkenness, sexual promiscuity, immoral living, or in quarreling and jealousy. I think we've all known uh, people who have been converted out of that lifestyle. And it's exciting to see the new and changed person. Uh, but it's also hard for them to learn that they typically need to put away some of those old friendships. Because those friendships are the ones that kind of pull them back into that world and are struggling to do so. And it's a balancing act. Sometimes, as, as teenagers even, uh, we pick up the wrong kind of friends. We love them to death, uh, but a bad influence is a bad influence. And in the effort to try to create a good influence for those, they have a tendency to try to pull us back into what we've already left behind or should have left behind. That's what repentance is. It's putting away the old man. And that's a stage for the new Christian and for the young folks. It's very difficult. It's the hardest thing in the world to have a good friend, a close friend, and then realize that you've changed completely. You know, you're a new man, you're a new woman, you're a new person, you're a Christian. And that lifestyle you once had and enjoyed, that's no longer a part of your life. And your friends are going to put you down for it, and they're going to give you a hard time for it. And you may have to simply put them away because of that, at least for a time. That's a hard transition to make. That's a transition period where a lot of people start to kind of slip back. So as other Christians, fellow Christians, we need to certainly make sure we help in that transition. Mistakes. Everybody makes mistakes. I certainly do. <laughs> Every day. Now, Dane talked about how many thoughts go through our heads. I, I don't have that many. But... Sometimes have the wrong kind of thoughts. Mistakes are things that we feel terrible about. Things that we wish we had not done, said, witnessed, took part in, whatever. And Satan will try everything he possibly can to anchor you, you and me, to our worst day, our worst sin, our worst mistake. And we can't let that happen. We've absolutely got to move past that. There is a huge difference between a mistake and a chosen lifestyle. A mistake is something we feel bad about and we put it away. A lifestyle, well, that's something we've just accepted. That you know, I don't care what the Bible says, but I'm just going to keep doing it anyway. Why? Because I enjoy it. Well, that's not a mistake. That's a chosen lifestyle. Give me liberty at all cost. Didn't finish quite like you thought. Here's, here's the part where throughout the church and throughout Christianity, yeah, there's two camps here, and there just is, and there's difference of opinion. I'm going to let you know mine, you know, I'm, but we're going to use scriptures. That doesn't mean my opinion is right and yours is wrong. It just means that I have my opinion for my household, for my home, for my family, for what is best for David. And you have your opinion for what is best for you. Liberties. Liberties versus stumbling blocks. 
1 Corinthians, the 8th chapter, and Romans, the 14th chapter. They deal primarily with this subject. Now, I, I was going to read both chapters, but when I practiced and I did that, it was like an hour and a half, so I'm going to spare you part of this. I will simply summarize. Uh, those chapters deal with Christian liberties versus putting a stumbling block in front of a younger Christian or a new convert. That's primarily what they're about. Now, they've been used to talk about things they don't think people should do because they bring offense. People are offended by absolutely everything. That's just the way it is, and that's even in the church today. Uh, if it's scriptural, that's fine. If it's opinion, not so much. A stumbling block is more than just something that causes someone to be offended. Liberties versus putting a stumbling block in a younger, less mature Christian's way by them imitating in a manner that causes sinful action or loss of faith on their part. Now, how can we do that? Part of these verses describe certain situations, one of them being if, and we've got to kind of put ourselves back in the mindset of the time period in ancient times. There was a lot of worshiping of false gods that went on, a lot of temples that were devoted to them, a lot of sacrifices that were made to those false gods. Now let's picture as a new convert, as a new Christian, we see Brother Clint going over to a false idol and picking up the sacrificed animal and taking it home to cook it and eat it. Well, you know, we may have offense with that. Was there anything wrong with that? False god, it's not real. Now they killed an animal, they sacrificed, they had their ceremony. It meant absolutely nothing because there's one true and living God. That's a false god. It's just meat laying there. But it offended somebody to the point they may have or have imitated by doing that because they saw Brother Clint do it, but in their mind, they're sinning the whole time they're doing it. Letter of the law, was it a sin? Probably not, but they certainly believed it was. It can cause them to lose their very faith by continuing to do things they think are wrong. If we put a stumbling block in somebody's path by showing them a lifestyle that they think well, if he's doing it like that way, I should be able to. And then they go a step further and a step further. And alcohol is one of those things. If we choose to exercise what we refer to as a liberty and it causes somebody else to stumble, there's a problem. And I'm not telling you that you can't have a glass of wine in your cupboard. I'm not saying when I come over to visit, you've got to hide everything in the refrigerator or your cabinet that's that's not what i'm saying at all i'm saying we have to be very cautious very cautious about what we put into our lives as an example is it glory to god is it bringing others down in their faith and this is one of those topics you've got to make a decision we have rules in our house i was brought up at a household where alcohol simply was not allowed that's just the way it was. And I accepted that. And as I got married, had a family, I simply adopted that for my own personal reasons in our household. And that was challenged a few times. But our rules at our house is our rules at our house. Your rules at your house are best determined by you using the Word of God. It's not up to me to come to your house and tell you how to live your life. 
Those rules have to be set by you, but your children will watch what you do, not as much as what you tell them not to do. Those two things, if they conflict, can create a problem and put a stumbling block in our own children's pathway to Christianity and to serving God and to living their lives in a way that glorifies God. So we have to be very cautious about the decisions that we make. 1 Corinthians 6 and 12. Paul said, and this, and Paul has, just has this, this way. He just has this, this way of saying something in very few words that just is so profound, uh, it's life-changing. All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. It's one of those wow statements when you really look at what he's saying. That's amazing. Now, when they're transitioning, the old law obviously nailed to the cross. Uh, the Jews having a hard time with that. The new converts in Christianity. There was a lot of conflict going on. Paul always handled that with grace, with care, with maturity and love. But he never let his liberties interfere with the faith of those around him. Social drinkers. Social drinkers are those who choose a certain lifestyle where drinking is okay in public around other people and events that are centered around drinking. Um, statements that you might hear a social drinker say. Now remember, we're, we're talking about Christians this morning. I need a drink. I'm not talking about mowing the yard, you need some Gatorade. Sometimes those who choose to be social drinkers, those who will uh, partake in alcoholic beverages in public around other people, uh, learn that the alcoholic beverage can become a, a crutch. Stressful day, hard day at work, kids have been giving me trouble all day long, I just need a moment. Just a bath and a whole bottle of wine. I need a drink. I need this, I need that. A drink would solve my problems. One would be good, two would be even better. A crutch. That's what alcohol and drugs can become. If we look at it as something that is paired good with chicken and tastes good, that's one thing. But I need a drink, that's a problem. That's a problem. Responsible drink. Have you ever heard that term? Designated driver. Now, and we'll get into that here shortly. I am all for people who decide that they're going to drink in abundance to not be driving. That's imperative. Uh, driving a car is, is a privilege, it's not a right. And that privilege can be taken away and should be in certain situations. That's just the way it is. But when I hear a Christian say, you know, I drink responsibly. When I know I'm going to have too much, I make sure I'm not driving. I have a problem with that. Maybe I'm that weaker brother who's offended, but I have a problem with that. If you've already decided that you're going to drink to the point of being affected, and here's another issue where people disagree. Certain levels of drunkenness. Well, you're either intoxicated or you're not. Well, it's just a little tipsy. I probably shouldn't have been driving. No, you were drunk. Whether you felt like you were tipsy or you were staggering to the point that you couldn't stand up, drunk is drunk, right? I 
I have a problem with that. A little drunk is still drunk. And if you've picked out a designated driver, that means you've predetermined in your own mind that you're going to be drinking too much. I need a drink. I'm a responsible drinker. These are conversations that Christians, our fellow Christians, sometimes have, and they will uh, fight. They will fight to the end. Die on that hill to protect that liberty that they see is a right of theirs. It's a very, very dangerous hill to fight on. That liberty cost us our mortal soul and cost so many other people that are affected by it. Our decisions affect far more than just us. I'm going to prove that here in just a minute. Now my father, uh, he's in the tail end of World War II. Uh, Charlie may set me straight. He was stationed on the island of Okinawa. Uh, apparently he saw a lot of things. This was at the occupying forces period of World War II. And he would talk about sometimes, if I would ask him, how beautiful the landscape was, what was the chart, and how neat the people were who would actually tried to talk to him. But when I asked for a little more details about what he saw, he would just get this stoic look on his face. He wouldn't talk. There's certain things that memories in our mind we just don't like talking about because it takes us back to a place in time uh, we don't want to be. We don't want to think about. And I'm about to share one of those with you. I've never served in the military. I haven't been in a battle. I haven't been in war. Uh, but there was an incident that did happen on this topic we're talking about uh, that changed my family's life and took the life of somebody else. I said, man, this, this alcohol thing, it seems personal with you. It is. It is. A lot of you uh, have kind of asked, and maybe a little curious, why does Pat always sit in the back. She's not here today. She's in Hot Springs visiting her mother. There's a reason she sits back in that recliner. It's because she's in constant pain all the time. And there's a reason why she's in constant pain all the time. See how 20 years ago, a little over 20, and it's hard to believe it's been that long, uh, we were on our way to a holiday dinner at her family's. And we were in a hurry, we decided that we were going to take a, a rural highway. It's faster. It's up through Oklahoma. And I was driving the van at first. We had one of those vans that had those big captain's chairs in the front. Oh, man, I love that van. Those chairs were so comfortable. And then we had two rows of seat, bench seating in the back. And we had two little kids at the time. They're in their 30s now. They were little at the time. And we... Hindsight, we never should allow them to do that. We let them, when we were on road trips, undo the shoulder strap and took on just, you know, the lap belt and lay down in the bench. A little more comfortable, they could sleep that way. Seemed like a safe idea. So we were traveling, we had food in the back, we were ready. I had a terrible, terrible headache. So I decided we were going to stop at a convenience store and get me some Tylenol. Man, I regret that. I regret that so much. That decision 
put us at a different time, at a different place, on the highway. It changed a lot. I can't go back. I can't make that decision again and just keep driving. If I would, man, I'd just keep driving. My headache was bad enough that I asked my wife to take over driving. She was glad to do. I hate that decision too because the driver's side and the front of our vehicle took the brunt of the accident that we were about to be in. And it was brutal. It was a hard hit. See, at the same time we were on the highway, there was two other gentlemen that decided they would be on the highway too. They were in a big old work truck, type truck, one of those big ones, heavy truck. And they also made another decision. They had already started drinking. They had a case of beer and they had already started to drink. This was in the morning. I don't know what they were thinking. Alcohol impairs your judgment, doesn't it? It also impairs your reflexes. So we were on the highway doing 55. I'm to the point I probably could take over again. My headaches start to ease up. Have you ever watched a movie where there's a high speed impact? That's pretty realistic. That's pretty close to what it looks like where all of a sudden out of nowhere, bam, a vehicle just shows up right in front of you. Well, that's what happened. What you don't see in the movies is uh, you can't feel what that feels like. That's not a fender bender, that's an impact, and it's a massive impact, like an explosion. So out of nowhere, they blew through the stop sign onto the highway that we were on, and we nailed right into the passenger door. And both vehicles were going fast enough, they kept going. Both vehicles went off the highway and hit a massive rock wall. Think about a big rock wall. You may break it, but it'll stop you. You can't be doing 55 and then go zero and not have consequences. The moment we impacted their vehicle, it was incredibly explosive, but the moment we hit the wall, everything kind of went out. So as I slowly started to regained some kind of senses and it's like shell shock. I had to stop and think for a minute. I look over and there's my wife in the driver's side slumped over, obviously hurt and bleeding. And I yelled. I tried to get her to wake up. And she wouldn't. In my mind, I thought she was dead. At the same time, the massive grief that was flowing through me over losing my wife it dawned on me. The kids are in the back. I'm not hearing them. So I get out of my seatbelt, finally. Get outside, open the sliding door. And I hear my daughter rustling in the very back. What happened? I know she's alive. That's something. My son, he was stripped through the seatbelt. The only thing holding the seatbelt was his, his legs were still in it. That was it, he'd slid out. He was down on the floorboard behind the driver's seat, his head pushed into the plastic casing, laying in broken glass. He looked dead. I don't know how to check a pulse, I'm not a first responder. I thought I did, and I didn't feel one. So I thought I lost him. Half my family gone in my mind. Devastated. I started to see tunnel vision, it was just the whole world had just ended as far as I was concerned. What do you not do with a victim who's been injured? 
You don't move them. I wasn't thinking. So I reached down to that pile of glass and pulled my son up and, and laid him gently on the bench seat. Man, that was a hard, I don't know how long a period of time that was, but that was hard. It was brutal. And then, give me a second. Some memories I don't like to relive. It's, that's tough. And I heard the sweetest sound I think I've ever heard. It's not a sound that you would think of as sweet. They started moaning, both of them, about the same time. They were in pain, and they were coming out of it. Sweet sound to me because it meant they were still alive. Man, I won't ever forget the moment I thought I lost my wife and my son in one instant. It was somebody else's choice to drink that morning and get behind the wheel. About that time, it was a group of, oh God is so good. There was a group of hunters uh, headed to base camp, headed to dare camp, and three of them just happened to be first responders. So they pull into the scene. Time that my wife is obviously in intense pain. My son is struggling to try and set up. So one of them comes to our vehicle, tries to assess who's hurt the worst, tries to assess the situation. The other two are in the other vehicle and they're working on somebody at the time, that's all I knew. So they determined that my son doesn't have anything broken. He is cut up. He looks bad because he's got blood coming down his face. He's got some glass embedded into his head, uh, but he's going to be okay. Fantastic news for a dad. My wife, they didn't know the extent of her injury. She had some broken bones. Uh, her back was hurting. She was in intense pain. Her stern had been broken from her impact of the seatbelt. So as they were trying to determine as the ambulances were headed our way, and it was a bunch of them coming, uh, who was worst? And I heard, better take some pictures, he's trying to get rid of the evidence outside of the vehicle. The window's gone so I can hear pretty good. So I look over at that old work truck and the driver of the truck Let's just say his face is messed up pretty bad, but he's walking around doing something. He's emptying beer cans and he's throwing, he's getting rid of them. That was his focus at the moment of my family, laying in my vehicle like that. And the other guy in the passenger side, I never did see him get up. There's a reason I didn't see him get up. He never woke up again. He was still breathing, he had a pulse, he had a heartbeat. But days later, his family would make a decision to pull him off life support because he was brain dead. The moment our vehicle struck his, he lost his life. His body just didn't know it yet. One decision. And it impacted everybody's lives. That's how important that is.
the reason my wife sits in the back, um, that chair is not as uncomfortable as the pews are. See, her, uh, her back goes into spasms now ever since the accident. You ever had a Charlie horse, been swimming, something just kind of cramped up in your muscle? Well, that happens to her back on a daily basis constantly. They just spasm all the time. We've been to specialists, we've been to doctors, we've had MRIs, she's had CT scans, x-rays, everything possible. And they always seem to come to the same conclusion, you're just going to have to live with the chronic pain. And so she does, and she tries to be a trooper. Um, but chronic, chronic, constant daily, nightly pain is difficult. It's a life changer. There's a lot of things that she used to do, she can't. A lot of things we used to do that we can't. Again, a decision that was made by somebody else that impacted our lives and took somebody else's life. That's how important it is to make the right decisions. Now, as Christians, if we want to stand on that hill and fight for that liberty, that's your right. Let's not ever abuse that situation and allow ourselves to let alcohol take part of our life, which will cloud our judgment and make us make the wrong decisions and affect other people's lives or even take other people's lives. That's how dangerous this substance is. I hope, I hope, those of you who are teenagers who are uh, about to get, I remember that how awesome that was when you're about to reach that stage of life. No more rules. I'm gonna have it on my own. It's gonna be awesome. I may be eating 25 cent pot pies every day, but man, it's gonna be good. I remember when I moved out. You know what? It felt pretty good. Then I realized that adulthood wasn't quite as easy as all that. There was a lot of decisions that had to be made, and this was one of them. What, what kind of a life do I want to live? What kind of an example do I want to be for other people? Do I want things happening in my life that will bring down other people or cause them to stumble? Do I want so badly to entertain myself in that way Is alcohol really that important? It's a decision you'll have to make. And you and I, we may have different viewpoints on that. Now, I don't, I don't care if you drink a glass of wine to get sleep at night. I, I don't. Let's don't ever, ever abuse it. Alcohol and drugs will be the downfall of so many people. Let's not let that be our loved ones or us. People are always watching. Whether you think they are or not, people know what you do. And if they're looking up to somebody as a Christian, an example of a Christian, they see them go out and get drunk on a regular basis. Hypocrisy. That's what they see. Hypocrisy. Base our decisions. What would Jesus do? Would he be here right now? Would he be entertaining himself in this way? We choose to go to events where they totally focus on alcohol. Back when they used to actually print flyers, you'd see flyers for parties. Now you probably get a, a PDF on your phone. Yeah. Four kegs, open bar. Is that where a Christian needs to be? 
choose the right friends and the lifestyle for a Christian. God knows how imperative the decisions we make are, not just for us, but for our children. They'll see what we do more than they see what we tell them not to do. Those things are so important in life. I know this is a broad subject, a deep subject. Uh, There are Christians who suffer from the disease of alcoholism. There are. We even know something. Should we be judgmental and harsh? No, they need our love. They need our compassion. They need our support because they need to put that behind them. And we need to be there to help them do that, not judge them for it. Satan does want to anchor you to your worst mistakes, and he will. But you've got to move past those. So let's don't judge each other. Let's help each other. Let's build each up in a most holy faith and highly encourage each other to make the best decisions possible for ourselves, for our children, and for those around us who are watching everything we do because we're Christians. Let's stand and sing. We hope you have enjoyed this message recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ. If you have questions concerning this message or would like to set up a study, please call 479-647-2658. May God bless you.